You know, last week I gave you a lesson in raising your hands. We did 101, 201, 301, and I'm going to have to get you talking back to me a little bit because uh, I preach longer when you don't talk back to me. All right? I preach better when you talk back to me. You got it? All right? Okay, so let's just do a couple little rehearsals here. Everybody stand up. Put your hands together. Let's give God the glory. I know some of you are going, I hate to stand up. I hate to be disturbed from my little nest. Okay, give God the glory. Now, everybody raise up one hand as far as you can get it without being too fanatical. Remember, this is 101, praising God, 202, 303, and then full out Jesus. All right, that's not hard, is it? Now, let's just all together say amen. amen. You got it figured out? All right, you can be seated. Let's get started. People love scandals. Have you ever noticed that? I can't help myself when I walk through that checkout aisle and I look at those National Enquirer headlines and all those, I am riveted. Sometimes she goes, sir, just a minute, just a minute, do you know that a woman gave birth to an alien? I mean, I'm reading it right here, it's in print, I know it's true. Have you ever noticed how when you're driving down the road and all the traffic slows down and you think, Gosh, it must be a horrible wreck, and it's just somebody with a flat tire, and everybody's just driving by. Oh, my gosh, a flat tire. I wonder if that could happen to me. And they, they're slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. People love scandals. Well, I was a little curious, so I uh, just started searching. What are the top political scandals of the last century? You know, and I just thought, well, let me just see what they are. I'm going to give you some of the top scandals. Here's one of them. Number one scandal of the last 50 years was the IRS targeting conservative groups. Interesting, isn't it? Number two, Watergate, okay? Number three, the Department of Justice doing phone taps on everybody with a Verizon account. That'll fix you. Switch over to AT&T, they're not bothering them. Then the other one, Obama's Fast and Furious deal. Benghazi Gate, number five. The Iran-Contra, 1983, if you remember that, and the Clinton-Lewinsky affair. Those are the top seven. Only five out of the top seven were a part of the Obama administration. <laughs> O-M-G. Can you believe that? What else could you say? The most transparent president ever. He is transparent, all right. Transparent something. Anyway. I'm sorry, if you're an Obama fan, I love you, but I'm going to tell you right now, whether it was Obama or somebody else in the office, that is not where your hope is. Your hope can only be found in Jesus Christ. There is not a politician alive or ever will live who will ever be able to solve the problems of this world. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why the Bible says that God came in human flesh, was born among men, died on a cross, raised from the dead that he might give us life, give us wisdom, give us insight. Today we're going to preach about the cross a little bit. And I want you to know that that word scandal is a word that actually comes from the Greek. It's actually in the text today. That's why we bring up scandal. We'll show that to you in a few minutes. Second thing I want you to understand is something about the proclamation of the power of the message of the cross. You know what the message of the cross is? It's good news. We don't need any more bad news. 
We got enough bad news in this world to go around a couple of times. Amen. What we need is the good news. The good news is God loves you just the way you are. God can transform your life from where you are to where you need to be if you will allow him to work in you and through you by his word and by his spirit. But it's all about the message of the cross. Far be it from me that I should boast in anything, the apostle Paul said, except, except the cross of Jesus Christ. It is about the proclamation of the cross. The other thing that we know about our society is that power is sought out by most people. People love to, to kind of be in a power situation. I was standing in line at, uh, at a local coffee shop this past week, and I was standing there was a few people in front of me, and there was someone over here talking. I just thought they were talking. I didn't know they were in line. And I just kind of stepped up, and they looked at me, gave me that look, you know that look? Gave me that look like, who do you think you are? I was in line, they said. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Not, didn't even say, oh, that's okay. It's just kind of like just stepped in and I'm thinking, it was everything in me not to do something. <laughs> Have you ever had that feeling? It's a real human feeling. You know what I'm talking about? You're standing there thinking, you are in front of me. I could take you out like that. Take a little piece of paper, put it on their shoulder, do something. You've got to get even somehow. And all the human side of me, I'm thinking, you know what that is? That's me wanting to use my power in that situation to inflict harm. And the Spirit of God's just saying to me, now, Phil, just remember, this is not what you're supposed to do. You're a pastor. I know God, but you know, even Jesus drove out the money changers with the whip. I know, but you've got to walk in the spirit. And I said, but God, you reduced the world down to eight with the flood. You get mad too. I need my moment in the sun right now, God. I'm telling you, I need it. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. And let's look through 18 through 25. See what the apostle Paul has to say about the cross and how it affects us, how, can, how it can really be a blessing in our life to transform us from one degree of glory to another to be in Christ's likeness. Here's what it says. For the message of the cross is foolishness. That word there in the Greek is a word where we get our word moron. People look at people who follow the cross and say, you're a moron. Why are you doing that? That message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So a person without Christ, how do they look at the cross? They say, you know what? That doesn't even make sense. That's foolishness. But notice the, the tense of the verb here. It is who are perishing. Do you know that a person without Christ is in a process of perishing? In other words, they are not as far from God as they will be one day if they keep on that path. And the process of getting a hard heart, the process of your mind not being able to see the things of God is growing stronger and stronger every day in your life or in their life. There's a process of perishing. The Bible says if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, respond to his voice. Because God's spirit doesn't always strive with all man. In other words, there comes a point in your life where you don't hear the spirit of God anymore. You have desensitized yourself from God's spirit and from his voice. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and go, you know, I don't really think there is a God. Because you've hardened your heart. 
And it says they are perishing. But notice what else it says. But to us who are being saved, to us who is being saved, it is the power of God. Do you know not only are people without Christ perishing, but people who are saved are being saved at the same time. In other words, you're not as close to God as you will one day be. There is a transformation that takes place. When you come to faith in Christ, God by his spirit begins the work in you of bringing you about to to, to be more and more like Christ, but that process will only really reach its pinnacle when you're glorified with him in glory. And the idea is that you're on a path where day by day you're getting closer and closer to God, closer and closer to God, you're more and more like Jesus. You ought to be able to look back on your life and say, you know, I'm more like Christ today than I was a year ago. I'm more like Christ today than I was two years ago. And if you're not, then it's just time to recharge the battery and say, let me get on this path. For it is written, it says here in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. It's really an interesting passage. We're going to look at it in a little bit more depth, but it's from the book of Isaiah. So here we see Paul pulling from the book of Isaiah, putting it, making application in this situation with the cross. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In other words, through the message of the cross, wisdom and understanding are clarified. You can't really have wisdom and knowledge and understanding apart from the cross, the message of the cross. Verse 20, where is the wise? This clarion call goes out to the world. Where's the wise? Who's the guy that's the wisest you know in this world? Where's the scribe? Where's the person who's skilled in writing? Where are they on this subject? Where's the disputer of this age? Where's the person who wants to argue every point? Where are they? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Same word. Has God not made what they say is foolish moronic in his eyes. For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God took a message that everybody said was foolish and said, let me show you what I can do with something insignificant. Can I tell you what God wants to do with you? Ever feel insignificant? Anybody ever feel insignificant in life? Just raise your hand. Let me see. A couple of you don't. You're just so secure so confident and so got it all together or just said, I'm just comfortable. I don't want to raise my hand, right? Amen. I understand that too. If you ever feel insignificant, just know this. God loves to take insignificant things and makes it, make them significant. God took his only son born in a little bitty town and elevated him to the leader of the world, made him Lord of all. God will take what you don't think is significant in your life and he will take and add to that and he will build on that. He will multiply that and he will give you a sense of purpose and meaning. And this is not about self-help. This is not about just feeling good about yourself. This is about finding your worth and your value in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Verse 22, for the Jews request a sign. Well, the Greeks, they seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That is our message, Christ crucified to the Jews. Why, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You want to know something about the power of God, the wisdom of God? Look what it says. Look to Christ crucified. 
There's the power. There's the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The foolishness. God's dumbest moment is better than man's best moment. That's what it's saying. Is the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, God is not weak. God is all-powerful, but remember this kind of, this, this literary device here. The idea is that think about God in his weakest moment, if that's even possible, and think about man in his strongest. I love Psalm chapter 2 because it's there where it says that the heathen rage, the nations, they assemble themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, it says. He who sits in the heavens will laugh as he brings them into derision. In other words, Here's man saying, Let me, let's see if we can just get God out of our life, and God just kind of laughs. You can't do that. I want to bring you back to this quote. I think it's, uh, I've used it at least twice since we started Influence Church, and it's so applicable for our mission because we really believe that part of what makes us unique is that we're somehow wired into the marketplace of society. From our very beginning, when, the, when we were in a, in a middle school, we were right there in the middle of, of society and what was happening, whether it was a kid's soccer game or a school program or whatever, we were a part of the DNA of that culture, of that community. Now, finding ourselves here in the theater, right in the middle of this community and this culture where we're at a crossroads of society, where people are coming and going. We, Tammy and I came and we went and saw Hunger Games the other night. I don't know if you've seen Hunger Games, but it's just American about 50 years but it really is, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, how fast can I run? You know, that's all I can think about because uh, I know I'm going to go down quick in that deal. Um, but, you know, it said, let's go to, let's go to uh, see a movie. So we're going to go see Hunger Games, right? Where we go? We go to church because we went here. Felt kind of weird. I'm feeling like, I, you know, I should, yeah, I'm looking around and say, who should I minister to now in the lobby? And we got, where is everything? How come the banner isn't set up? It's, you know, and, and, but we're at the crossroads. Now we're moving to our new location, which is uh, the former full site of the United States Post Office. And now just, they've been brought down to a small part. We're now landlords for the post office, for those of you who don't know. And we bought the property. And now we have hundreds, literally hundreds of cars coming through there. This past week, we were sealing the, uh, all the driveway, and we had to close down a great portion of that, uh, of that parking lot, and you should have seen the chaos. It's all, I, the worst drivers in the world go to the post office, I've decided. Horrible, horrible. They're coming this way, they're mad, they're cussing, you know, I'm out there, hey, how you doing? I'm the pastor. Then after a while, I'm going, I ain't the pastor no more, I'm just hiding. <laughs> but we're at the crossroads. 1.5 cars per minute go through our parking lot. It's amazing. We're at the crossroads. George McLeod said it like this. I simply say, the cross must be raised again at the center of the marketplace, as well as the steeple of the church. I'm claiming that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves on the town garbage heap at the crossroads so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. At the kind of place where cynics talk smut, thieves curse, soldiers gamble because that is where he died, 
and that is what he died about, and that is where churchmen ought to be and what churchmen ought to be about. Amen? That's what we want to do. We want to be in society, in community, in culture. And so on Sunday night when we have everybody come back and we're in the middle of a Christmas tree lighting, it's going to be amazing. We've got a Santa Claus coming. Now, some some of you don't believe in Santa Claus, but we have him. He's going to drive up in a, in a Lamborghini. It's awesome. We've got, it's an Orange County Christmas. We've got snow machines. We've got horse-drawn sleighs. I mean, it's going to be amazing, and people are going to come on and go, this is a church? Yeah, we're going to talk to you about Jesus. I was driving down the road the other day, and I see this Christmas tree lot, and I thought, it'd be cool to have our own Christmas tree lot for that big event. You know, kind of like a scene, like at a, at a, like a, a New York kind of scene. We're trying to do a little bit of a New York theme on this. And so I went up and I meet this guy named Ryan and his boss is named Raj. And so I call up Raj. I love the name Raj. Raj just sounds like one of the wise men to me, doesn't it? Raj. Hi, Raj. What, did you bring gold, frankincense, or myrrh? What'd you bring? You know? Raj comes over with his, his daughter and the boyfriend, you know, and they're looking around and He's so gracious. He's so nice. Yeah, we'll set it up here, and we'll give money back, and we'll donate some trees. And he just, and I'm sitting there thinking, here we are again, crossroads, crossroads of society. He goes, well, we'll give you a contribution. I said, look, that's up to you. I said, you're just blessing us by coming on and kind of help making the scene. See, that's a mindset we have to be. We have to be in society instead of just telling society to come see us. Come to our holy huddle. Be a part of what we're doing. No, let's be a part. We want to be a part of your life. We want to show you how Christ can be a part of your life. Let me show you this. First of all, the message of the cross proclaims the wisdom of God. You know how God works in your life? He works really in three main ways. He works through time. Have you ever noticed how over time you figure out what God's up to in your life? It always seems to be a little bit late. I know, I know a lot more about God when I look back than when I look forward. How about you? But if you're frustrated with God, you don't know what God's up to, would you just give it a little bit of time? Be patient. If you're an impatient person, then pray the the patient prayer. Do you know how it goes? God, give me patience and give it to me now. (laughs) Let God work in your life over time. Also, let God work in your life through love. Love never fails. It might look like it fails, but it never fails. It never fails. You just keep loving. You just keep extending love. You know, Jesus proved it, didn't he? He hung on a cross. He died. And in love, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He could have struck out with vindication. He didn't. He loved them. If you really want to see the wisdom of God, love. Give God time. Allow God to love through you. And then truth. God works through truth. And truth is not, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, it's the gospel truth, and they're telling you something about something they did for you? Just stop them and go, no, that's not the gospel truth. That's your version of what you think is accurate here, but truth is God's word. John 17, 17, when the question came up, what is truth? Jesus said, thy word is truth, O God. Truth. Let God work through truth. Remember Paul quoted from the book of Isaiah. Let me take you to that verse, Isaiah 29, 14, and look what precedes this. Here are people in turmoil. They're they're struggling, trying to figure out what God is up to. And God says this, Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people. A marvelous work and a wonder. 
For the wisdom of the wise men shall perish, the understanding of the prudent men shall be hidden. That's what Paul quoted in 1 Corinthians. Look what he says here. Let's go back to this. Behold, I will again do a marvelous work. Here's what I want you to say. God, I want you to do a marvelous work in my life. I believe words are prophetic. I believe the words that you speak will have an effect on your life. I don't really know how that works other than God says it works that way. Proverbs tells us the words of our mouth are either life or their death. I don't know about you, but I I look with great just eagerness and sorrow. You know, when when, when somebody who's in the headlines, uh, like Paul Walker, dies in a car crash last night, the the guy who's been in the Fast and Furious shows, and he's a legal, you know, driver. I mean, he basically is drag racing all over, and that's that's his, his role in that movie. Yesterday afternoon, he was killed in a Porsche. Bodies burned beyond recognition. And I looked at that, and I just this mangled heap of steel, and I just thought, how sad. It's sad when anybody does, but you know, it, it's one of those things that kind of brings to your attention what's going on. And then I remembered what happened a month ago. Maybe some of you know this, but there was a, uh, basically a, a, a kind of a false alarm. It was just kind of a fraudulent statement that went out on Twitter that Paul Walker had died in a car wreck. That was a month ago. You say, well, there can't be an association with that. I'm not saying there is. I'm saying that's interesting, isn't it? Can I tell you the words that you say to one another, the words that you say to your children, the words that you speak to yourself, they have an effect in your life. Speak good words. Speak about the stuff that you, where you want to go, not what's wrong. You know, ever know anybody just complains about everything all the time? Yeah, that was a quick one. Yeah, oh yeah, I know a bunch of those. And you say, boy, every time I'm around them, you know, can I give you some advice? When you see them coming, run. (laughs) Run, run, run fast. Run, Forrest, run. I mean, just get away. Because the tendency is not for you to change them, it's for them to change you. I mean, I've, I've said that to people. Sometimes I've had people that are just so negative, I go, I just can't take anymore. And they look at me and go, what? I just can't take anymore. I'm just like, I'm so depressed now. I'm, I think I'm going to smoke grass or something. I, I mean, I just can't handle this anymore. And they go, what? And I go, seriously, dude, is there anything good going on in your life? I know, somebody's going to go out here and quote me and go, he smokes grass. I didn't say that. I said I've been tempted. But temptation is not sin, amen? Amen. All right, secondly, the cross creates a collision with worldviews. You know what the cross does? When the cross comes into a conversation, the worldview, the way the perspective people have on life, it collides like this. It just collides. Because there's a way of thinking. That's why the Bible says, love not the world or the things in the world. It's not talking about the birds and the bees and the trees. It's talking about the worldview, the way the world sees life. The cross will always come at odds with that. But notice what it says in verse 20. It pleased God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It pleased God. God makes insignificant significant in your life. Man's wisdom does what? It operates in three primary ways through theory. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about philosophy with people. 
That word philosophy and that's used in Scripture really comes from two Greek words, uh, philos and logos, and it's the idea of the love of wisdom, the love of knowledge. You can love knowledge and not love God. In fact, the Bible says in Timothy, ever, ever, ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Nothing wrong with philosophy, but philosophy has its limits. And some philosophy will lead you down the wrong path altogether. Theory. Well, this is my theory. Great. I'd rather deal in facts. Interpretation. Well, that's not how I interpret it when it talks about life. This is how I see life. Or debate. Debate. Paul warned Timothy against endless debates that only eat away like gangrene. You ever been in those conversations where people just want to debate, 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 debate? Like I had somebody tell me the other day, well, let's talk about Calvinism. You think people are predestined? I said, I don't know. They go, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I don't know that about God. I can read where it says God does do that and then God doesn't do that. I don't get it. But here's what I do know. From the time of John Calvin, 1,600 years ago, people have been trying to solve this argument. I really doubt over a cup of latte, we're going to figure it out today. (laughs) Am I wrong? It's not going to get solved today. Greater minds than mine have wrestled with it and tried to figure out all those who are called will come and all those who who, who just follow will, will be saved. I don't get it. I do know one thing. Every time I present the gospel of Jesus Christ, that person has an opportunity to either receive or reject Christ, and what goes on on the inside and in the workings of God, that's up to God. I have one role, that is to tell the story of the cross, amen? Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, look at this. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. You know what sometimes that this philosophy does in, in our world? It just cheats us out of what's real. According to the traditions of men. The traditions of men. One time uh, Jesus made himself unpopular with some of the religious people and he said, uh, they said to him, why do, your, why do your disciples violate the law by not washing their hands before they eat? I mean, can you believe that one? And he said... Very politically correct. Why do you transgress the commandments for the sake of your traditions? In other words, why are you blowing up Scripture because it's what you've, for the sake of what you've always done, for traditions? What does the Bible say? That's always what you have to go back. What does Scripture say? He says, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. It's going to be the Christ or, war, or the world is how you're going to dictate your, how you live out your life. Verse 9, for in him, that is in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know who the Godhead is? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You want to know what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are like? The whole Godhead could be understood through Jesus Christ. That's what it's saying. Dwells in bodily form. And it says, look at this, you are complete. Let's say that together. I am complete. Ready? I am complete. Do you believe that? I am complete how? In him who is head over all principality and power. I don't need anything if I've got him. You say, well, I tried God and it didn't work. Time. Let God have time to work through a situation you're in. Don't get in a hurry. Be patient. God's working. Trust me. Keep loving and keep applying truth and you'll be surprised what happens. 
Third, the cross is, the last, is God's last stand on earth. You know what Jesus did? Jesus said, this is it. This is the crossroads of society. This is what it's all going to be about. You're going to have to go to the cross for life. Verse 23 through 25, we preach Christ crucified. We don't preach church doctrine for church doctrine's sake. We don't, we don't preach traditions. We don't preach denominations. We just have one message. It's just simply Christ crucified. That's our message. That's what it's all about. Christ crucified. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. To the Greek, it's foolishness. You see, the way, the way Jews look at life and the way Greeks look at life is different. The Bible tells us that one of the characteristics of, of Jews as a people is they seek after a sign. And Greeks typically, that is the, the, the non-Jewish world, they typically want knowledge and understanding. And we realize, he said, I realize that both groups stumble over this for one reason or another. For the Gentile, he says, well, that doesn't really make sense. You can't prove that. To the Jews, he says, well, I'd, I'd really like to see a sign. I'd like to know something. That's why whenever Jesus was on earth, you ever notice how he was always being asked this question, well, show us something, do something, work a miracle. And then when he'd work a miracle, they go, well, we don't know if that's really legit. Can you do another one? And never enough. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I need power, I go to God. I need wisdom, I go to God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know what the cross does? It transforms us in at least three ways. It transforms our mind. It transforms our mind. How you think can be transformed by the power of the cross. The Bible says that we need to have this transformed mind in order to see things the way that we need to see things, to think the things we need to think. You ever talk to people and you just say, I don't even know how you think that. Where did you come up with that? You ever had that? Bring people back to the cross. It's amazing how that changes perspective. Secondly, it changes our morals. The cross changes our morals. Do you realize that every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit, Jesus died on the cross for? Every sin of the world, the entire, when it says the sins of the world were laid upon him, do you realize every thought you had this past week that was evil or dirty or any other way, do you realize he experienced that on the cross for you? He felt that weight. His crying out in agony was not the agony of the cross, as horrible as that was. It was the agony of your sins and my sins as he died and bled on that cross. And he felt the weight of the world's sins on him. And he felt it to such a degree that he felt separation from the Father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, he became sin for us. Even though he knew no sin, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That was the real pain. That was the real agony. He wants our morals to be transformed and also our motives. What motivates you to do what you do? There's nobody here in this room that's always had pure motives. Am I right? What if you could have, what if your motives could be more pure? Wouldn't that be a good thing? I mean, just, just between you and God in your own heart, just you, 
I'm not trying to get anybody to give a, a word here or talk or, or confess anything. What, what if your motives, you could look at your motives and say, you know, my motives are really pure in this. And, I've, and the, how I know that is I pushed it through the cross. I've, everything has gone through the cross. That's when life becomes transformational. That's the kind of message we have to have. That's the kind of message that transforms the world. That's the kind of message that influences people for Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to have you stand with me and pray as we uh, move to the close of this, uh, of this service today. I want to ask you right now in your own heart just to, just to do some self-examination and the application of the cross. Let's just talk a bit about our mind. Would you, would you ask the power of the cross to transform your mind? Be not conformed to this world, the Bible says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind needs to be renewed. Allow the Spirit of God right now just to renew your mind. If you have a tendency to be negative, would you allow him to renew that? If you have a critical spirit, would you allow him to renew that? If your mind is filled with doubt, would you allow God to transform that and renew that? Your morals, the things you think about, the things that separate you from your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, from your own household, and from God. Because you, you dwell on something that's sinful or evil. It could be anger. It could be resentment. Would you just allow God to renew that by the cross? And then how about your motives? To have a pure motive. To really love God for the right reason. To love one another for the right reason to serve in your church for the right reason, to tell people about Jesus for the right reason, not to be the, the Holy Spirit in their life, but simply to be the servant of God for their sake. So we sing this last song together. I'm going to ask you just to commit yourself to him, anew and afresh. Just, Holy Spirit of God, I just want to, I want to be under your influence right now. I want you to fill me and transform me. I want to be like you. At the same time, if you don't know Christ, could I just ask you to, to draw near unto him and he'll draw near unto you? Just allow the Spirit of God to draw you unto himself and just confess him as your Savior, as your Lord. Let's just let the Spirit of God have his perfect work in our heart right now. Would you do that?